At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. The Atlanta Medical Center emergency room typically sees 100 patients a day. The hospital is one of just two level one trauma centers in Metro Atlanta. Its doctors treat victims of car crashes and violence, and now it's closing. says the Atlanta Medical Center will close on November 1st because it's losing too much money. A doctor, in fact, just came downstairs and spoke with us. She told me that it is chaos inside. She told me she's really worried about patients out there when the hospitals are already overwhelmed. As the news broke, Democrat Stacey Abrams unleashed a barrage of criticism on Governor Kemp. She says her opponent's refusal to expand Medicaid has accelerated the demise of hospitals that serve uninsured patients. And it's not because they don't have enough patients. They've got enough. It's not that the resources necessary don't exist. They do exist. It is because we have a governor who refuses to expand Medicaid. A spokesman for Kemp said the governor shares the community concerns and says he will continue working to expand access to quality health care and bring down costs. Kemp's office and Wellstar are pushing back on whether Medicaid expansion would have saved the hospital. Abrams' first campaign stop this year was outside of a shuttered rural hospital. A nurse named Rhonda Jones Johnson said her aunt died waiting for emergency care. We had only one ambulance in the county no emergent care, no hospital open. If only we had a hospital open here in Randolph County, I truly believe that her life could have been saved. How will healthcare shape Georgia's race for governor? I'm Susanna Capaluto, politics editor at WABE in Atlanta. I'm Raul Bally, a politics reporter at WABE. Our colleague Emma Hurd is off this week. And I'm Sam Greenglass, also a WABE politics reporter. And this is Georgia Votes 2022, a podcast that's all about the midterms. I vote because it's a privilege. I vote it's a duty. because I want to make an and impact. I vote on my because local. I want leaders who care Voting about my future. Voting is the gift of so freedom. So voting matters to me because I believe there is value in my voice. Raul and Sam, great to see you guys. Uh, get us up to speed, Raul. Explain what the closure of Atlanta Medical Center may mean for people who live and work in Atlanta. So let's start off with what's happening. Wellstar Health System runs a number of hospitals in North Georgia. They took over this hospital in 2016. And and they listed a number of reasons. COVID, increasing cost for staff and supply caused by inflation. Their bottom line was that over the past year, they've lost about $100 million. Still, this is a very, very big deal. And, And let me get a little personal real quick. My wife is in medicine. And when I told her about the closing, she had two instant reactions. The first reaction was Atlanta is losing a trauma one center, which is kind of the highest care for, you know, major incidents, you know, major crashes. There's only two in Atlanta and five in the state of Georgia. So with this closure, you're losing one of those centers. The other thing that she mentioned was all those medical residents that would you know, likely, possibly leave the state of Georgia. And then what you just mentioned, the people who live and work 
in that area. This hospital is located just east of downtown, but it really serves, uh, you know, a pretty significant area um, here in the Atlanta area. So you're losing a hospital, an ER, a trauma center, a place that has a number of important specialties, including stroke care. Yeah, and I was treated there a while back when I had a bike accident, and they actually took me there because the other trauma center we have, Grady Hospital, was full. This accident happened in downtown Atlanta right across from Grady, but the medic said, let's go to Atlanta Medical because they're not as full, and I got great care there, and it's a hospital that's closest to my house. It's going to have an impact, definitely. Now, Sam, this fight over Medicaid expansion goes back years between Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams. It was also an issue in the 2018 race. Explain what Medicaid expansion is and why it hasn't happened in Georgia. Okay, so while this might sound like a local story, let me make the case of why this has national implications and implications for the race for governor and even for Senate here in Georgia. So this debate over Medicaid expansion has been going on here for some time. Ever since the Affordable Care Act was passed, Georgia has been one of now just a dozen or so states that have decided not to expand Medicaid under that act. Now, Medicaid helps low-income people get health coverage. In Georgia, low-income children, pregnant people, people with disabilities, and some others can access Medicaid. What expansion does is it allows any adult making below a certain income threshold to participate, not just those smaller groups. But states have to opt into this program, and the federal government pays 90% of those costs. The states pick up the rest. At first, Republicans here in Georgia said that they were worried that funding from the federal government would be dried up and they would be stuck with the bill for the whole program, so they dragged their feet undoing it. Now it's 10 years later, funding has not dried up, but the stance among Republicans has become so dug in that there has been a hesitancy still to expand it here in Georgia. Though one thing to note is that our co-host Emma Hurt has been doing some reporting that suggests this position might be changing, especially among some rural legislators that have seen the costs of, of hospitals closing in their communities. According to the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute, which is for the expansion of Medicaid, they say Medicaid expansion would cover about 500,000 low-income Georgians that are currently not covered. And the feds would cover 90% of the cost of that coverage. Now, Raul, Stacey Abrams may have started her campaign this year focused on health care and Medicaid expansion. But since then, other issues have eclipsed that one. Topics like abortion and inflation. Do you think this debate has any weight at the ballot box? It's always a struggle to make this argument work. You know, it doesn't fit in a 30-second ad. It's not ideal at times for a stump speech because, look, you had Sam kind of explain it here, and it doesn't kind of fit in that world of, uh, of campaigns. But there is an opportunity, as you mentioned, Emma Hertz reporting, of, of people in rural Georgia. And when I covered rural Georgia, county-level commissioners, they're looking at their local hospital and going, how are we going to make this work? Even in Republican rural areas, they're look, keeping an eye on Medicaid expansion. And I think that's the path is going to be rural lawmakers looking at rural state lawmakers and going, maybe Medicaid expansion is going to be the way to keep 
a small local rural hospital and business because let me tell you something when we talk about economic development the important things that you hear about are make sure there's rural broadband in that area make sure there's you know small airport access and make sure there's a hospital and and medical services in those areas so that's the reason it could have become a big issue on the trail absolutely it's absolutely something that Stacey Abrams is trying to talk about on the trail. And the other thing, too, is if you think back to the last midterms, 2018, when Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp were running for governor for the first time, here in Georgia and nationwide, there was so much focus on health care. Remember, this was around the time when Republicans in Congress were working to try and repeal the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. And so health care was a centerpiece of so many Democratic campaigns and Republican campaigns that year. 2022 is a different moment. You know, this year began still in the midst of an Omicron surge, people talking a lot about the pandemic, but polls have showed many Americans have moved on and conversations about healthcare and access to healthcare may be a less salient topic for voters right now. At the same time, I could see Democrats like Abrams connecting access to reproductive health care, uh, as Roe v. Wade has been overturned, into this conversation. And abortion is certainly at the front of people's minds, especially Democrats heading into the election. And um, by the way, last week, a federal judge, you know, said Georgia could implement a pilot program that would partially expand Medicaid to some people but it has a work requirement and some premiums for the coverage. But it seems the state is not rushing to implement it. Yeah, so after years of not expanding Medicaid coverage in Georgia, the Kemp administration ultimately realized they needed to do something. And so they asked for a waiver from the federal government that would allow them to craft this kind of limited expansion that you were just talking about. But the Biden administration denied Kemp's plan to enact work requirements and premiums as part of this limited expansion. Kemp then sued. And then last week, a judge ultimately said that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services didn't follow the right rulemaking process to do that. And so what happens now? Well, CMS, they don't have any comment. The governor's office says they're still weighing what to do about this. I asked the folks at Georgians for a healthy future what could happen now, and there are basically four routes. CMS could reconsider the waiver and hold new public hearings and public comment periods. Another option is that they could appeal the court decision, continue the legal arguments. Kemp could also just implement his waiver right now, but they have not moved to do that yet. The other thing is that Kemp could wait until next session and then get some specific budgetary allocations to fund the program. Right now, there's no answers on which of those tracks will be taken, so it still looks like this issue will be very much alive headed into November. And just for the numbers, Kemp's program would cover only 50,000 people in Georgia under this waiver, whereas full expansion, again, would cover probably half a million. That's according, again, to GBPI. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have the latest on the Fulton County Grand Jury that's looking into whether former President Trump and his allies tried to change Georgia election results in 2020. I'm Susanna Capaluto, and this is Georgia Votes 2022. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, 
Each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at wabe.org or wherever you find your podcasts. Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E. Welcome back to Georgia Votes 2022 today with Rahul and Sam. There were several motions again this week regarding the Fulton County Grand Jury. Let's start with Governor Kemp and the decision that he has to testify, but not until after the November elections. Rahul, get us up to speed. So this decision was not a major surprise. And here's why. The judge who is overseeing the special grand jury that's looking into 2020 election interference, uh, he, we've heard in past hearings his concerns about the grand jury getting tied deep into politics. Of course, it's political, but you know he disqualified District Attorney Fonnie Willis over some issues, specifically her support of a candidate who's running against somebody who could be pulled into this grand jury. In the decision of saying, look, you need to testify, uh, Governor Kemp, you need to come present yourself in front of this grand jury, but I'm going to say it's okay to testify after the November elections because I don't want your opponent, I don't want the district attorney, and actually he said, I don't even want you to use this as a political argument that I'm being pulled in front of this special grand jury for political reasons. So it wasn't really a surprise. Now, we also heard from the district attorney herself, Fonnie Willis. She's the person who impaneled this grand jury. And one of the questions that I asked her was, how long do you think this jury, this grand jury will still be working? I think we're about 60% through of all of the people that we need to be brought up. I'm pleased with the pace that we're going. Um, you know, there can't be any predictions, as you know. Many people are uh, unsuccessfully fighting our subpoenas. Uh, we will continue to fight to make sure that the grand jury and the public gets the truth. Um, and I am very hopeful that by the end of this year, I'll be able to send the grand jury on their way. The other important question that came up again was this whole idea around whether this is politically motivated, around the elections, and she also pushed back very hard on this. I've been very specific and um, determined to uh, get rid of that accusation that this is just some political stunt and we were trying to uh, impact the election. As you may recall, I did not call the first witnesses until we were after those primaries and I made it very well known to the judge who's over this as well as my team that I would not do anything until after the election. Um, so they'll have to accuse me of something else. They can get rid of that one. Two important points that I keep wanting to make to people around this special grand jury. Number one, when this special grand jury wraps up, it will not indict anybody. And that's important because what they will do is produce a report and say, this is what we believe, whether what happened or who should be charged. It will still go back to District Attorney Fonnie Willis to make a decision. And the other important thing I keep telling people is 
this grand jury is impaneled to be in place until May of next year. So those are kind of the two things I keep pointing out with what, what's going on with the special grand jury. And just while we're here kind of reflecting on what seems like an inflection point in the course of the special grand jury, I want to zoom out for a moment. The special grand jury has been meeting since May. And at this point, Willis says jurors have already heard from 60% of the people that they want to testify. At first, jurors heard mostly from Georgians who witnessed former President Trump and his allies attempts to overturn the election result here in Georgia. But then by this summer, prosecutors told some people that they weren't just witnesses, they were now targets of the criminal investigation. And that included 16 false Georgia electors for Trump. Then as the summer went on, subpoenas were flowing from the Fulton County Courthouse and the special grand jury started reaching deeper into Trump's inner circle. And as that happened, and as this investigation heated up, some pressed judges to quash their court orders to testify. Now, by and large, judges have upheld the subpoenas throughout the course of this investigation. And so by the end of the summer, the grand jury has heard from Trump's one-time campaign lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. They're very likely to hear from Republican U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham, and the special grand jury is now moving to subpoena people like former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. So in the couple of months that this special grand jury has been meeting, a lot has happened. And uh, as Raul mentioned, there's still several months to go before this wraps up. So we will keep watching the court docket to see what we can find out about the investigation. Labor Day is upon us, and that means the heat up of the general election is truly starting. Absentee ballot applications are open. Campaigns are hitting the road and rolling out their shiny new campaign buses. Raul, how much do you think campaigns are focused on turning out the base voter, the occasional voter, or that new voter versus persuading undecideds? So I've been making this argument for a while. I believe the campaigns are really focusing on voters that they believe are already in their camp, already support them, and making sure that they turn out. Now, let me be clear, when I mean targeting, I'm talking down to individual levels. You know, in the past week, we've seen uh, Herschel Walker, who's running for U.S. Senate, make appearances at an Indian temple to meet with black pastors. Sam uh, was following Senator Warnock into uh, rural Georgia, where you've got pockets of African-American voters that he's aiming for. These are small pockets, but you know, very targeted. You're trying to find every voter that you believe is already on your side. And, and I got some interesting insights from a couple of events that, that I was part of. So I was at a campaign event for a Democratic statewide candidate and some field coordinators. These were the people who were on the ground knocking the doors. They spoke at the event. And one of the, the, the coordinators from the Democratic Party of Georgia, his name was Colin. He didn't give his last name. He was just introduced himself uh, to the crowd. And he mentioned that, hey, we've knocked on 2,500 doors in the northern suburbs of Atlanta. About 25 to 30 percent of people are answering the door. But then interestingly, he talked about this part, about what happens when they make phone calls. We've made over 16,000 calls in wow. Fulton County. But... The catch here is, though, is that we have around a 5% contact rate with these calls. In 2020, these calls were how we won. Um, it's not working the same. We really have to knock on these doors. Um, it's the only way we can reach out to our neighbors. 
And you know, that makes sense because I'm, I'm thinking about myself. I rarely answer a phone call now unless it's, it's caller ID, even if I think I recognize the number. But it was still eye-opening when I heard him say that. Here's one other uh, bit of insight that actually came from a Republican National Committee call that I was part of, and it had a couple of GOP congressional candidates. One of them was Mark Gonzalez. He's running in Georgia's 7th Congressional District, which is a really challenging district. It's projected to be a 60% Democratic district. So, you know, I asked him, so what's your role? You're running in a challenging district. Do you have a role in maybe those bigger races, whether they're for U.S. Senate and for governor? He said, yeah, he has a role specifically when it comes to helping with the Senate race where uh, Herschel Walker is the Republican candidate. Coalition together to reach out to our Hispanic communities, and he had asked me to be a stakeholder in that. So I'll be at his side as we march further into this campaign cycle. Uh, I've been very visible in our Hispanic communities. And some of the things he said that's going to include is going to campaign events and appearing at press conferences with Herschel Walker. Before we go, you mentioned we are headed into Labor Day and it's kind of this transition point as we enter the final stretch of this election season. And I say final stretch begrudgingly because I know the potential for runoffs definitely exists and I don't want to jinx anything about the prospects of us working through Thanksgiving to cover these races as they go into an extra inning. But... Let's just pause for a moment and talk about where we stand right now. The top of the ballot races are still extremely tight, at least according to polling. And though Abrams has been trailing Kemp in aggregates, her campaign released an internal poll today showing the race is at least statistically tied. And they highlighted this stat. 54% of voters disapprove of the restrictive abortion law passed by Kemp, signaling that they think... One of the things that has maybe turned the tides of this race is the ruling overturning Roe v. Wade and federal abortion rights. And that might have the potential to turn out voters for Democrats. The race is similarly very tight between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker in, in the Senate contest. And we end summer with inflation cooling, movement on Biden's agenda, backlash to the abortion ruling, Trump back in the picture as documents at Mar-a-Lago cover the headlines for days on end. All of that has Democrats feeling a little rosier about their midterm prospects than they did at the beginning of this summer. But Election Day is still two months away, and the president's party typically takes a drubbing in the midterms. So... I wouldn't put my chips anywhere just yet. I also want to take, again, kind of bring the personal into this. You know, my kids are just now, we're, we're kind of getting in our routine. They're back in school. We're kind of back into that routine. And I'm thinking about some of the other families that we have play dates with. You and I, all of us here, we, we, we're into politics all the time. But there are so many people with Labor Day coming up who... Now that summer's over, school has started, the routine is going, they're just now making that turn into paying attention to politics, paying attention to the races. They're seeing more commercials pop up. So I think we're going to start seeing this group of people start kind of coming into this election, trying to figure out what's going on. I think that's totally right, Raul. I mean, I was in Southwest Georgia earlier this week, both door knocking and on a college campus. And the amount of people I met who said, Stacy who? Warnock who? And said that they hadn't really started thinking about the election yet, even though they are planning to vote. 
it was a lot. So I think you're right that uh, people have maybe been tuned out over the summer, unlike us, but that might start to change soon as we get closer and closer to November. Well, before we go, let's figure out what are you guys going to do over Labor Day? Over Labor Day, let me start politically. We're under 70 days until Election Day. I'm going to start thinking about what are those races beyond governor and Senate that I want to cover. You know, picking and choosing your news battles about what you want to go cover and and what stories, you know, that that I'm going to be looking for. That's what I'm thinking. As for uh, what I'm going to be doing personally over the weekend, I think we're going to go check out Dragon Con with the kids, specifically the parade, uh, and then probably go do some other fun stuff because... I don't know about you guys, but when I walked the dog this morning, it was pretty chilly, which makes me wonder how much time we have, how much swimming pool time we have left in the year. I'm going to try not to be thinking about the 2022 election this weekend because it might very well be the last weekend for a very long time that we have that luxury. So my plans are to uh, make use of my membership at the Atlanta History Center. And maybe if the rain clears up, take a last weekend dip in the pool before fall is upon us. I'm actually going to the beach, so that's where I will be. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Georgia Votes 2022. Thank you, Raul and Sam. Kevin Rinker is our producer. If you have questions or comments, please email us at georgiavotes at wabe.org. Georgia Votes is a production of the WABE Politics Desk. Please rate this podcast. Thank you. We'll see you next week. 